My daddy may now make an announcement. Exactly how much experience do you need to have as a podcast producer to get an interview for a job as a podcast producer? Welcome to The Bitterest Pill. It's Dan Class. I'm, I'm, I'm in my garage. You are listening to The Bitterest Pill. Under the flight path at Los Angeles International Airport. Um, former comedian, failed actor, former stay-at-home dad, still shut in. Uh, so listen, welcome, welcome to The Bitterest Pill podcast. Now, if you happen to uh, be new to the program, this is, uh, this is episode one of season two. Season one, uh, we just wrapped up a couple months ago. We're starting season two. Now, season one was about 13 years. Now, a sane person would do like a season a year or whatever. Uh, No, I thought, you know, about 13 years seemed to be like that, that sweet spot. Really what it is, is um, things have changed so much in the last couple months that uh, it's, it's like... The whole, uh, well, whatever. uh, Well, here's a recap. So for those of you who have not been listening, I would like to briefly recap uh, 13 years and begin. So in November of 2004, no, we're not going to, okay, we're not going to do that. Well, basically I'm married. I have two kids. I'm living in Los Angeles. I was supposed to be an actor, but you know what? I'm short and bald. I have no attention span. I'm not good at marketing myself as an actor. And so, uh, listen, I've done some work. Uh, uh, and, and there's a lot of work I haven't done. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's just the uh, Okay, that's the way it's gone. And I'm not going to linger on the past. And I'm not going to linger on the fact that, I, uh, you know, whatever. Because secretly, I've been becoming, you know, a podcast guru. And here's my biggest concern about that. So I've been applying for jobs. I'd like to get a job. I've been freelance podcast producing consulting for a long time. And you know what? I would love to know where I'm going every day. I really want to, instead of focusing on trying to find work, I'd like to focus on doing work. So I've been um, applying for jobs as a podcast producer. Now, you would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised. I was somewhat surprised at how many job postings I see for quote-unquote podcast producer. Now, I have the advantage of living in L.A. I think just inherently New York, L.A., I don't know where else, Chicago, apparently Texas and Florida. Um, You know, right? Pittsburgh? Okay, fine. Eventually I'll list all cities. But you get the point is that living here in Los Angeles, there have been a lot of uh, job postings. Now, here's my fear. Most of what I'm known for in my little community and between you and me is these recordings. Now, these recordings, uh, you know, they are what they are and they're true, full, but they're not really like real me. Like you, right. You've met, have you ever met? You know what I mean? Like in normal life, I'm a normal person. In normal life, I don't actually talk that much. 
I've said that a hundred times and no one seems to believe. I don't, I don't, I don't talk that much. But here's my fear, my friend. I spend hours, and I mean, I'm not joking, hours going over these cover letters and uh, tweaking my resume to, to what I think is perfection. Oh, I don't know anything about it, so. But if you're in the Los Angeles area, and you're looking to hire a podcast producer, quote unquote. I assume that I have a fairly strong resume. I've been at it since 2004. I've consulted or podcast for some big, you should see, I, you should see the names that I drop on my resume. I just put a resume together, like a, a website, resume, website, resume together. Oh, the, the, those low, I mean, it looks, it's really impressive. No one has called me for a single inter, not even an interview. They're not meeting me and deciding they don't like me or they're not meeting me and going, I, mean, I don't know. I'm just not getting called. Now, here's why I think, I hope, I fear that's happening. They get my resume and my cover letter. It all looks very on the up and up, right? But then they maybe Google me or they, you know, my pod, the podcast, listen, the podcast is right on the resume. You can't, right? And then they listen to this show and there's this crazy person yelling into a microphone for an hour straight who seems to have some emotional problem where he cannot control his anger and loves to just talk on and on and on with these long kind of unnecessary dramatic pauses about absolutely nothing. So I fear that they're listening to these recordings and they think that, oh my gosh, if we call this guy, some maniac is going to show up and probably tell endless stories about us until we have to fire him. So let's just uh, uh, go there. Okay. And so what I did is I swore to myself that I would uh, tone it down a couple of notches. And as you've heard so far, and we've been talking now for about six uh, minutes, six and a half minutes, uh, I, I failed. I told myself I wasn't going to get worked up. Uh, so if, if anyone heard this, I would sound professional. You know, because the truth is, I think they're not calling because I don't have anything to show uh, that would prove that I can do one of these NPR knockoff shows. That's where, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to do what I, what I call an NPR show because that's all, that's the, the biggest, you know, segment or whatever style wise, genre wise, regardless of the content. Uh, although true crime is doing very well, it's that style of storytelling, which is not what I do for myself, and it's not what I've done really for clients. It's been much more straightforward than that. I'm adjusting the microphone because I think I'm going to practice. Should we practice right now? <clears throat> yeah, see, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that because, because I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't do upspeak. I listen to uh, S-Town. Really good podcast. Really fantastic follow-up to serial in its way right uh and that guy can do upspeak and vocal fry at the same time 
I, I just can't do, I can't do that. I admit it. Maybe I don't have the training to do upspeak and vocal fry at the same, I don't know. So we went to the thing. Is it like that? I don't know. When I get in front of the microphone, I think it's just, for, I think it's from having been a comic and then doing the show for so long. I get very excited. I admit it. When I gave my presentation, we're not going to get into this this week, but when I, I gave a presentation at a podcasting conference recently called Podcast Movement, highly recommended, awesome, best ever. And I had to tell the sound guy, sound guy, do not give me a handheld microphone because I will basically just swear for 45 minutes. You can't. It's just this Pavlovian thing. I get the microphone. I think I'm at the comedy store. And next thing you know, it's two drink minimum. And I'm never asked back to podcast movement ever again. So I think what I should do, I, I should uh, create a podcast where I can prove that I can do that NPR thing. You know what I mean? All right. Cue the, cue the sound effects. In Los Angeles. In 1999, a young man became a father. He hadn't wanted to have kids, but you could only be married for so long and put your wife off for so many years before you got to either do it or die. I don't know, that, that didn't sound right, right? I, don't, I, can't, I can't do that like... I don't know what. All right. Oh, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that. But I do want to, I do want to know, <laughs> I do want to know this. And, uh, uh, okay. So, all right, listen. Uh, so let's, let's say you're a company. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to talk in my real voice now. Okay. Hold on. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to calm down. Shh. Be quiet. Just let me relax for a second. Just let me. Let me be real. Let me, I'm going to try to be a normal person. Um, the normal person that I am when, if you were to meet me on the street or in a conference. While I'm in my studio recording, uh, obviously, The Bitter's Pill. That I, I know that I'm doing that and it's hard to forget that I'm doing that. Okay, stop. Shh, be quiet. Be quiet. Okay, cool. Shh. What I want to um, know, what I don't understand is so... Uh, so let's see your company and your podcasting company, or maybe you sell ads or you sell, the, you know, it's one of those things where you produce them and you put ads against them and you, I don't know, but let's say you're a big company and you're, and you're, you have a big Los Angeles office and you put a job posting out for a podcast guru, podcast guru in Los Angeles. Okay. And you get. Uh, you know, 20, 30,000, I have no, I, I mean, how many people would apply for the job? I, I literally have no idea. And then you get, uh, you know, my, my resume. And again, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I have no idea what they're seeing and not seeing what other people, I have no clue. But I am fascinated like, honestly, this is just damn the person now. I am fascinated legitimately. This is not even ego. This is just logic. How can you get that resume and that bio 
and that li- like the bo- like a book and Hall of Fame and and uh, you know all these like speed like all these big company logos, and not at least want to call the guy in and meet him because no really oh oh okay um exactly how much experience do you need to have as a podcast producer to get an interview in Los Angeles for a, a job as a podcast producer because i can guarantee with 95% certainty there's no one in Los Angeles with more experience than me, period. So I don't know if it's I got to just leave the house more often. I, I had such a blasted podcast move. We're going to talk about that next time. Or it's just a, an age thing. And, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not accusing anyone of ageism. But what it is, that, listen, I don't want to say how old I am, but I'm older than I want to be. Much older than I ever expected to be. Now, you know me. I thought I was going to die uh, when I was 33. 30? Uh, yeah, I think it was like 30. For my whole life, until I was about 37, I thought I was going to die when I was 33. That was just the way it was going to go. It's because of my uncle. My mom's brother, he died at 33. And, you know, when that happens and you're a kid, you're like, oh, I know just enough about uh, genetics. Yeah, they're probably dead at 33. So I'm at an age where, honestly, uh, maybe I should, you know, I should be the CEO of something. And I see a lot of people that have that on their, you know, their like little LinkedIn thing, CEO, what, like what, I, but I always wonder if that means they're like literally have a company or they're just kind of the CEO, you know, of their laptop. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I really don't know. Am I the CEO of Jacket Media? I guess it's the question. And if so, I think I need a raise. So this is what I'm really going to talk about this time. Now, obviously, we haven't spoken in a while and so much has happened. I, I, I don't know where to begin and end. I'm sure there's, there's just so much to go over. But I, I want to talk about the because this is the beginning of season two. So I, I got to talk about that transition right and what that transition was 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 this this is this, this that was me that wasn't echo i'm sorry do that npr so as fate would have it in the middle of august i gotta get this right yeah in in the middle of august my daughter was starting high school on Tuesday, whatever that Tuesday, 15th or whatever it was, whatever the Tuesday was of this year, I'm speaking to you in 2017. Welcome. Um, Okay, so Tuesday, she starts high school. My little baby daughter, little tiny princess tirade, Dave Jackson, um, high school. Now, I know she's in high school. I get it. I've seen her birth certificate. I've done the math. She should definitely be in high school. She is a young woman. She looks, talks, acts, thinks like a young woman. Very put together, fun, a little bit crazy in a great way. Young woman. I just don't 
like to think that my baby's in high school. That's fine. And I don't think there's anything particularly unusual about that, except I just don't want to think about it. So on Tuesday, the whatever, my little baby starts high school. Now, this is the high school that she decided to go to. And we left it up to her and, and you know, fate and uh, some other things. Um, she's going to a, an arts school, not an art school, art plural school. But it's very far away from where I am now. Now, I'm at. I am in the garage. I'm currently in Studio G at the house under the flight path. We actually don't even live here anymore. This house, it's still here. It's just, it's sort of a museum in a way. But she goes to high school in Santa Ana, which is about 40, 45 miles away. I almost said minutes, but that's, <laughs> that's not how it works here. I'm sorry. So she, so she goes to high school in Santa Ana, and I won't get ahead of it too much, but blah, 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 right? That's where she goes. So Tuesday, she starts high school. Tuesday night, our son, Hudson, former boy prodigy co-host of the show, starts USC. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Tuesday. No, no, no. Tuesday. I'm messing this all up. Tuesday, baby T starts high school. Tuesday night, Hudson, under his musical pseudonym Corwin, performs his first live show as Corwin does his thing at this club here in town called Fado Do. Fado Do, I, I think might have been, part of it might have been used as the exterior of uh, the theater that What's Her Face did her one woman show in in La La Land. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. So he performed a bunch of his music, and then he plays keyboards in this other band with his uh, friends. And then the next morning, okay, so Tuesday, high school, Tuesday night, musical performance. Wednesday morning, we drop him off at USC. And he moves out. And he moves out. Right? I, I honestly have no recollection whatsoever of dropping my daughter off at high school on that first day. No, no, no recollection. No, re I did. I assume it happened because she did go. She did go. She attended all her classes. She did go. No, I got no, I got no, I got nothing. I got nothing. Really happy for her because she met some great people right away. She's fit. I mean, it's just, there's nothing to say about it because she's really just having an awesome time down there. She's just so talented and beautiful and funny. And she actually has agreed to be on this show. For years, I have been trying to get my daughter to come on the podcast and she always said no. And recently she said yes. And she's, yeah, so I got to take her up on it for sure. So to say that I'm stressed during this particular couple of days is an understatement of biblical proportions because 
I guess I'm going to take Tulu, my daughter, Tulu, to high school. And then I assume I went back to this place where we're living in Orange County. And then I assume I went back to get her. But at like 1.30, it was, it's a short day at the beginning. And then something happened. And that I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know what happened. I assume I had lunch somewhere in there. So eventually I make it to uh, the show, the rock show, the big rock show. And it wasn't as early as I wanted to be. And I don't recall why. I'm sure it was traumatic and I'm blocking it. That's fine. So I go in and I sit down. My wife, Melissa, is there bunch of Hudson's friends and the other bands and uh, and I recognize you know a bunch of moms are there that are the bandmates moms that we know from school or whatever and Melissa and I are nervous wrecks and it's that definite that that the parental paradox of you have every confidence in your child but you're scared to death for them also because you don't want whatever this wonderful leap of faith is that they're taking to result in them crashing and burning, even though you have, right, you know that they're not going to crash and burn because you know them and you know their character and their abilities, but you still are just a nervous wreck. So being the, you know, podcasting father that I am, I said to Hudson, hey, so are you guys going to record or you want me to? Bring a re- no, no, no. We got a guy. Uh, we got a guy that's going to do it, and he's going to patch it through here, and then it's going to go through there, and it's go through blah, blah, blah. It's all set. Oh, okay, good. Well, listen, I mean, do you mind if I bring my, you know, the camera, my big, my video camera? Nah, no, nah, don't worry, Dad. Don't, uh, you know, we got a guy. He's going to videotape the whole thing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm like, you sure? Yeah, don't worry about it. Well, in the age of uh, smartphones. I got news for you. And I honored his wishes because I I got the feeling that, you know, I don't want to do or say or plan to do anything that's going to cause him a a pre-show anxiety, right? So I agreed to all his, I won't say demands, but you know what I mean. But in the age of the smartphone, you can't just sit idly by in an audience when your son is on stage singing a song and not try to shoot that, right? So it's time for uh, Hudson to start. And they start playing uh, a new version of one of the songs that he released last summer, the song called Funk. Except that he's holding a bass, a bass guitar. And my wife and I look at each other like, hey, Hudson's holding a bass guitar. Like, why is he doing that? He doesn't play the bass guitar, except apparently he does because he's playing the bass. He's playing this gorgeous Rickenbacker, you know, like Paul McCartney bass. He's playing the bass and singing. We didn't, right, again, we, like, didn't know he played the bass. He apparently can play the bass and sing. But I was so shocked, I thought I was 
recording him with my phone. I was not recording him with my phone. I was pointing my phone at him and watching him through the phone. A period. Yeah. So he played for, I forget how long his set was, half hour, 40 minutes or something like that. He basically played, as far as I understand, um, all the song that he, all the songs that he's been working on this summer for an album that he wants to put out. That he's been recording with a couple of friends of his. One of which, well, they're both insanely talented, but one of them, both his parents are in the music business. So he can play, he can probably sing. I don't know if he sings, but he can play every instrument. He's a great producer. He's a great guy. He and Hudson are great. For, you know what I mean? It's just like this dream scenario. But uh, it's it's weird to see a man on a stage holding court singing and playing the piano or in the bass and and thinking that it is also your little boy that man that man is the little tiny boy that used to dance around the front porch joyfully eating In-N-Out french fries. We'd sit on the porch in these Adirondack chairs that my dad built when the kid, when, when I was probably, probably before my daughter was even here. And he and I would go to the In-N-Out drive-thru and he was so happy and we'd sit on the, well, I would sit on the porch and he literally would just dance around eating his french fries and then our next door neighbor Gene would come over. He was about 104 at the time. And he, Gene, got a biggest kick out of little boy Hudson dancing around. And now he's a man dancing around. And he looks so happy and so calm and like he's so well protected by his friends who are so sweet. And adore him so much. But we'd been drifting apart for what felt like months, my son and I. And nothing happened. There was no incident. But we both knew that it was that time. And probably instinctively. Because I'm not saying, well, you know, in uh, July I made the decision that uh, for the next nine months I would try to distance myself from my son. No, it was just sort of, uh, listen, you instinctively know and I instinctively know that I got to get out of here and you got to let me. So, do whatever you got to do. But 
But Hudson was busy with his album and his friends, and they went on a road trip, and he went here and he went there, and he worked his ass off all summer to make this album. And I just kind of worried about surviving his leaving, you know? But he has to go away to college. I wouldn't... I would not feel like a success, successful parent if he couldn't leave the house. My God, right? You want your child. I mean, that's the irony of parenthood. And you know that the moment they're born, you know that a timer starts and you got about 18 years and that's it. And then they move out. Now, they may come back, but it's not the same. Watching him on the stage, I knew that that was the last night of an era for us, for all four of us. Because tonight, after the show, at some point, eventually, he would come home to our house and sleep in his bed. And when he woke up, it would be day one of a new era. And you want it to happen and you can see it coming, but you don't want it to happen. He's so excited about USC. We're so excited for him to be at USC. And we had all this stuff packed and organized. And, you know, Melissa being the mom, obviously, right? Everything was, you got your stack of this stuff here and that stuff there. Here's your towels, your extra underpants and your, uh, I've got, I'm on electronics duty. Make sure we find the box for the monitor and the computer goes in here. And then the other computer goes in here and the keyboard for the computer goes here. The music keyboard, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, the key to dropping off your child at college is to act like it's an everyday occurrence, right? Because really, there's no gray area. At least for me, it felt like there's no gray area emotionally. Emotionally, there is either, hey, this is just another great day where you just happen to be going to college and then a chasm into which I am afraid I'm going to fall. And then uh, a total despair. So um, I've been really hot this summer. It's been hot here. And it's been very humid here. And I'd forgotten that I, I don't do well with humidity. So I've been really hot all summer. To the point where there, there was a probably two-month span in there. Well, probably not two months. But where I was taking cold – I would be so hot I would take a cold shower. And then I'd get out of the shower and uh, within about 10 or 15 seconds be hot again. It was really bizarre and horrible. And I'm sure it had nothing to do with anxiety whatsoever of – him moving away. <laughs> 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 
but were very well orchestrated. We took two cars. We loaded two cars. We drove. They, they, Hudson and his mama followed, not really followed, but you know what I mean. They were, they followed me to USC. It's only the other side of town from here. And we, you know, you pull up. I had heard they have these big rolling baskets, you know, like a big laundry. Uh, like if you're in prison, I wouldn't know. But if you're in prison, it seems like they have these very, very, you know, lovely uh, laundry carts. Nothing like moving your son into a cinder block building with a prison issue laundry cart. Okay, it's kind of a weird feeling, but okay. So we we have all his stuff and he signs in or logs in or gets his thing or whatever fingerprint. I don't know. But for some reason, right at the last minute, as we're going to USC, my wife decides to get ahead of me. And in doing so, I am afraid she has gone in the wrong gate. Because we're supposed to go to the whatever gate, gate B. And she turned right, she turned before gate B. She turned it like gate A, which I didn't think was going to be open because we had such specific instructions that if you live in such and such a dorm, you go in gate B. So we pulled up and they said, oh, no, that's, it's fine. So we unloaded the car and we got the cart or whatever. And they say, okay, well, you know, your son is in dorm north A257B slash nine. So you go through here and you go around there and then you go through there. The, uh, and so it's this whole thing that it turns out we, we should have parked on the other side. Now, luckily, we've got the, uh, the prison cart. So once we get the prison cart up a couple of stairs, which was easy, that was fine. Now, I'm in charge, of course, because I'm the dad, of pushing the prison cart. And there's parents everywhere. And, yeah, it's, it's hubbub. It's just, it is hub on top of bub. And we finally get to apparently the right lounge area, whatever. And I'm sweating because I'm so hot. And I'm feeling lightheaded. Like, really lightheaded. Like, wow, I'm lightheaded. Like, uh, uh, I don't know about this. But be cool, man, because all you got to do is get through the next probably hour hour and a half, because he's not going to want us to hang around. And then you can pass out anywhere you want. As long as it's not in Hudson's dorm room, you're going to be fine. Just excuse yourself, tell your wife you'll see her, and then lie down in a stairwell like you used to do at school when you were drunk during fire drills. It'll be fine. So we get to the, whatever it is, based, I don't know where we were, man. It's a labyrinth. And they finally make it clear to us, oh, oh, I'm sorry, no, there, there's no elevator. You thought, oh, did, oh, your son is going to a big private university where it costs, uh, I don't even want to say because I don't know how we're going to pay for next semester. But no, oh, no, we don't have 
elevators here. This is just a cinder block. Cinder block. This is a cinder block. We made it out of real cinder blocks. And then you got to carry everything up the stairs. And then come down and get everything else back and forth to the third or fourth floor of New West Apex 9. So to say that I'm lightheaded and I'm freaking, like, I don't know what's happening. Now, the only, really, the thing I'm worried about it is, and, and I don't, you, you may remember this, but a couple of, well, it might have been three years ago by now, but I, there was that day, there was this September day where I had been sick and I was starting to get better or something. I think I was on antibiotics and then I almost passed out at home. And my wife and I, we, we made the mistake of uh, calling the, an ambulance or whatever. It was stupid. And no one ever figured out what's wrong with me. And my doctor was like, yeah, you should just call me. So, but I'm afraid that I'm going to like tank in the stairwell of new Alpha 5, right? So we finally get everything up there. And I say to them like super cash, hey, you guys. Anybody want a drink or something? I'll go down to the machine. Dude, kiddo, you want a, pet, uh, a Sprite? Like, yeah, I'll have a Sprite. So, my, so I'm going to get him a Sprite. I'm going to get my wife and I a couple of Diet Cokes. I need the caffeine. I have this theory that if I drink some caffeine, it will wire me enough where I'm not going to pass out from whatever makes me pass out, right? Even though I haven't, I, first of all, let's be clear. I never passed out. And the day that I thought I almost passed out, and I did almost pass out, but that was three years ago. And my doctor said, well, yeah, it's because the, you're getting over this thing and the antibiotics and you just, you know, whatever. You probably didn't sleep enough. So I go down to the Coke machine and I had a bunch of money. You know, singles, whatever. Because it didn't take credit cards or something. Like, why didn't I just put a credit card in there? It must, it must have said cash only because I don't use cash for anything. It's how I keep the beggars at bay. So it must have been cash only because I needed cash. So I had the cash and I put in the cash and it gives me a Sprite and I'm very happy. And I'm like, great, I need this Diet Coke. And it will not stop spitting out my dollar bills. Every dollar bill that I have left, it keeps spitting them out. Now, I start searching myself for a 20. I don't, listen, I don't care if I end up with $18 worth of quarters. You got to understand, I need a Diet Coke right now. I need to drink it and I need to press the rest of it against my forehead I need to say goodbye and I need to get out of here. I can't get a Diet Coke. I can't get a, I cannot, I cannot get a Diet Coke. So I go back upstairs and I give Hudson a Sprite and I say to Melissa, I don't, I don't know what's going on, man. Dollar bills and spit out and I don't know, I'll go whatever. When they were setting up his room, 
everything that I had put somewhere, Melissa had to move because why would I have an idea of where something should be? She clearly needs to orchestrate all of that, which is fine. I'm sure it's exactly how she left it right now. So, but they got out his laundry basket and it's this, and he set up his computer and we had the uh, other computer. He's got, you know, because you got to have a couple of computers. You got, apparently, you have to be covered. But then it's time. Do you understand? It's time. It's, it's the time that you have been dreading since the moment of his birth, since the day he just suddenly was there. The population of that delivery room went from four people to five. It's that moment right now. And so you need to do what you need to do. And just act like everything's okay. And that you're so happy and proud. I couldn't breathe. I was so selfishly sad. He didn't die. He didn't even move to the other side of the country. He moved to the other side of town. But it's just... That part of our lives is over. I couldn't... I couldn't think about anything else for the rest of the day. Except how dizzy I was. And it sounds so ridiculous to say after the fact, but it's... He and I just spent so much time together. that there's a huge chunk of me that doesn't know what to do anymore. And it's not to say that I want him to come back. He can't. It's over. It will never be the same. It'll probably always be just as good, but it'll, it'll, it'll never be the same. Which I guess is a good thing, right? Feeling like I lost something didn't uh, take away from the feeling that we won. And I, I maybe talked about this last time, but I'm on the other side of it now. <laughs> That boy worked his ass off for so long at school. 
and after school and summers and he works so hard on his creative pursuits and and don't get me wrong we busted his balls especially his mother just rode him like a slave driver but he's there and it's not going perfectly but it's going great Just when you feel that you can't possibly be more proud of your children, you end up being more proud of your children. And you do become very aware of their place and your place in the history of your bloodline. I feel very honored to be the father of my children. Very honored. But that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> oh. I wasn't sure I was going to survive. I was driving around that night down in Orange County. And I really thought, wow, I, f I feel like maybe I'm dying right now. I wonder if I should pull over the car in case I actually do die, that I don't crash into anything. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to damage anyone's property just because I'm dying because my son went to college. But I was so dizzy that at one point I had to text Melissa and say, listen, I can't hide this from you anymore. I'm so dizzy that uh, I don't know what's going on. I'll call the doctor, I promise. But I had just had a physical. Like, just had a physical a week before. And the results were in. And I'm actually, knock on wood, as far as we can tell, in perfect health. Now, for a guy that feels like he doesn't sleep well and always is complaining to his wife that he doesn't feel great... I'm actually in very good shape. I, my blood, you know what I mean? Like my blood pressure, my blood sugar, my this, my that, my lipidoids and my cardiacs and all that, everything golden. Now, do I have uh, hypoglycemia and idiotic sleep syndrome or whatever? What's that called? Idiotic? No. Necrophage. I can't think of the idio idiopathic synchronicity. That's what I have. Idiopathic synchronicity and general post child rearing dysphoria because now I have four years 
to figure out who I am. I used to know who I was, or I thought I did. I wasn't doing the best job at being who I thought I was. But at least in, you know, 1999, I thought I knew who I was, right? And then we had our first child, and we had another child, and then you have kids. And I spent a lot of time with the kids. I was the primary caregiver. But if I think an era ended when Hudson went to college, what am I going to think in four years when our daughter is in the same position? I really got to know what the hell I'm doing with myself, right? And that'll be season two of The Bitterest Pill. Thank you for listening to The Bitterest Pill. This is the new virtual assistant, Cynthia. Dan is such an experienced podcast producer. He forgot to click on the little record button before doing the ending of the show. So, now I get to do everything. The Bitterest Pill is made possible by the generous supporters through our Patreon campaign. Patrons like Megan, Brom Lasagna, Jay Savastano, Peter Chase, Jim Cariotis, Mike Hamilton, Jeff Short, Rob Usadin, Dave Jackson, Harold Goldner, Flores, Tom Carroll, David Chase and Gerard Cortinez. Thank you to you and all of our generous Patreon supporters. If you'd like to help make the show possible, you'll find the link on www.thebitterstpill.com. Next week, Dan will talk about Podcast Movement 2017. Whether he records himself talking about it or not is anyone's guess. See you then, and thanks for listening to The Bitterest Pill. The Bitterest Pill Podcast is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. Word.